All right, here we are. Here we are, episode Welcome fifty. Welcome back, science in between. Science in between. F- Ooh, 50. 50. 50. 50. That's crazy. Fifty. That's a lot of episodes. It is a lot of episodes, and you know, people have you know there there are listeners out there who have listened to all fifty. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they they need ho- they need hobbies. <laughs> maybe maybe this is their hobby. Oh that, God, I really. I can't. The only thing worse than listening to all 50 of these episodes is if it's your hobby. Yeah. Even you and I have not listened. Like we split it so that you do the evens and I'm doing the odds. So even that, like you and I have not listened to, we've all been here for them, right? Yeah. I've been present and accounted for, but that's it. Yeah, that's it. Mm. Good Mm. times. Mm. Episode 50. Episode 50. And I have no plan. I have no witty math things about 50. Nothing. No, it's half of a hundred. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that's something. It is. It's not. It's better than a poke in the eye with a sharp <laughs> a sharp stick. stick. Yeah, it's yeah. uh, yeah. it's uh, two quarters. <laughs> wow. Yes. Yeah. That's yes, what I bring. That's what I bring. That's what wow. I bring. It's uh, deep math knowledge. Well, hey, that was great. Let's move to joys yeah. of the week. <laughs> let's, let's talk about something people care about because this is definitely not it. Nope, this is not it. This is not what they're here for. This is not. I don't know what they're here for, but it's definitely not that. All right. Well, what are they here for, Ali? What are we what are we going to talk about this week? So we thought we'd we'd like take a step away from the uh learning theories that we've been talking about for the last handful of weeks. Although I will say that uh I was reading the newspaper recently and Albert Bandora just passed away. Oh uh, so well. There you go. Yeah. And, yeah. and what was interesting was I was reading his, if you're not familiar with Albert Bandura's Google him, he just passed away just, you know, within uh, July of 2021. Um, uh, he was in that sort of cognitive milieu, right? He's all in there yeah. with, uh, you know, Piaget and, you know, all the behaviorists. And uh, what was interesting is in the, uh, in the obituary, they talked about how he saw there was some real challenges with the things he was presenting because they weren't recognizing the social dimensions of learning and i was like oh look at that oh and this was in the obituary in the new york times which is pretty you know interesting so yeah. i thought i'd throw yeah, that no, out there he was, he was a uh he was a founding father of educational psychology for sure he was a absolutely important figure so i had not seen that that's cool yeah. i mean it's not cool it's not, it's cool, not cool he passed away no, but sorry just it's, little. It's, it's nice that you mention it, and we can we can. Uh, Not a friend of the show, but R.I.P. for Robert. Yeah, pour one out. Uh, yeah, R.I.P. for Albert Bendura. Okay, that's not what we're talking about today. What we are no. talking about is a uh, phenomenon based phenomenon. I always trouble with that, like phenomenon. Yeah, of course we're gonna go there. Yeah, so bad. I know, but phenomenon based science teaching. Yeah. Right. This is a, a a practice that the next generation science standards is, you know, promoting, right? Rather than just talking about topics, you know, anchoring the our teaching into something that's a little bit more, you know, phenomenon based. And and so why that term? Why that term? What is it? What does all that mean? And and why is that better than what we've been doing? Yeah. And I think um I mean, in fairness, the the NGSS largely talks about big ideas, right? So that's what, so th- there's a lot of complicated history, of course, to all these things, but, um, 
But yeah, I think what we wanted to focus on um, today was sort of the difference between a topic and a phenomenon. Right. Um, because I think there's a lot of things we could get into about, you know, you know, big ideas and model-based inquiry and ex- explanations and causal models and all this stuff that's interrelated. But I think what we we're really trying to get at today was sort of this foundational question of like, why are we talking about phenomenon and um, how are they different than the way we think about science traditionally, which is sort of the topic model, right? And, and there is a relationship or, or a connection between how NGSS sees big ideas and phenomenon. And therefore, there is a sort of contrast between big ideas and topics as well. But, um, but there's a more significant difference between um, phenomenon and topics than, than there is between the NGSS standards, because the NGSS standards still are about canonical normative science, right? They're about what, what kind of, what are the science ideas that students should learn? Um, it's not organized around phenomenon. It's organized around um, disciplinary core ideas, which are science ideas. So I think, I think that's what we're going to try to get into is um, what is this phenomenon? What is a phenomenon? Why do we care about them? What do they got to do with science? And then what do they have to do with, you know, canonical science knowledge? And what's, why, why are we talking about this stuff? I I love when you throw out the word canonical, that's just, it makes my day. Thank you. It does. Uh, do you prefer that to normative? I mean, I'm just trying to. No, I, I, I think canonical is a great term. I yeah. Think it, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not poking fun. No, 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 no. I didn't think you were poking fun. I was asking whether you preferred canonical to normative because, uh, you know, there's a lot of that going on too, like discussion, but we don't have to go down that rabbit hole right now. That's a little more esoteric no. than we wanted to. We're going to avoid some rabbit holes today, or at least as much as we possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. So, so are you, so are you taking the first whack at this or am no, I, or how yeah, why, why don't you, once you, once you start and I'll jump in as like, this is, I think you're much more steeped in this than, than I am. And so I'm going to, I'm going to play the part of the, the listener out there who is, I don't want to say skeptical, but you know, oh, yeah. in, inquisitive. Tell me the, more. Yeah. The intelligent me- questioner. Yes. You're going to, you're yes. going to be the Socrates in this. So. Oh, I love it. I love it. I'll take that role. Yes. Okay. And I don't know if I'm Plato or that guy that, well, there's a whole series of guys that Socrates beats up on intellectually, right? So I'm probably one of those guys. Like, what are they, Phaedrus? I don't remember any of their names. I, they had Greek I, names, of course. I am a long ways from being able to beat up with beat up on you intellectually. So let's just call it out. So we'll just leave that. <laughs> All right, Socrates. Let's just, let's get to it. All right. So, um, so that, I mean... The obvious thing to start with is that um, what what differentiates phenomenon from all this other stuff, um, whether it's topics or NGSS, disciplinary core ideas, big ideas, whatever that is, phenomenon are things that are observable in the world. They are real things. Um, And we're not going to go, there's another philosophical rabbit hole about what is uh, realism. We can talk about, you know, Karen Broad's work on a gentle realism, which is super interesting. And I think I've even mentioned as a joy on this show. Um, but that's a, that is a very philosophical, I mean, it would make some of our esoteric conversations look like, you know, classroom uh, or schoolyard uh, chit chat. So we don't, I don't think we want to go down the a gentle realism 
rabbit hole today anyway. Um, but phenomenon are, are real things. So, um, so, but, but that's, that seems straightforward, but then you start to think about it and, and it gets really, it get, gets complicated really fast. Um, so, uh, so I think it's easiest to talk through some examples, uh, and pick some examples of phenomenon and then talk about them a little bit and talk about the, the related sort of canonical science, right? So the, probably in the, in the ambitious science teaching world, probably the, the most, uh, well discussed and taught and considered phenomenon is this is what is known as the tanker, right? So if you, if you, if you bump into an AST person, um, anywhere, if you say the tanker, they will know what you mean. And they probably have seen a video of a teacher named Bethany from the Seattle area teaching a lesson about the tanker. Um, but basically here's the tanker. This we'll use this as a, as a beginning phenomenon, as a jumping off point. Um, cause it, in AST, they also talk about it as an anchoring event, right? But okay. So the tanker is literally a tanker. So it's, it's one of those, um, you know, uh, uh, what am I liquid, uh, transport tankers, like metal train cars that is for transporting liquid material. Um, and, uh, so it's a tanker car. The idea is that it's been steam cleaned out, um, by somebody because it was just used, they steam cleaned it and then they sealed it up and left it and they come back the next day and the whole thing is crushed in. And there's a video on YouTube. You can find this. We'll put it in the show notes of this happening in real time where they evacuate a tanker and you can see it actually implode and collapse. So the question is, um, what, what's happening here? What, how did this happen? What, what is the mechanism? How can we, can we explain this um, phenomenon? And so I think what's important uh, to think about is like that is an observable thing. It's, and in, in what I have explained to you, unless you count steam, which is a, a colloquial term too. Sure. I, I didn't use any science words, right? I didn't use right. any technical science language. This is like, this is a tanker. You steam clean it out, you seal it up, you leave it overnight and it collapses and it's crushed in, right? So one thing that is a, is sort of a tell about whether your thing is a phenomenon or not is if you have to use technical science language to describe it. If you do, then you may wonder like, well, maybe this isn't uh this isn't a, a phenomenon, but that is tricky because lots of lots of terms overlap, you know, um, and we've talked about this before, like force has a meaning in a colloquial sense, but it also has a physics meaning. So if you say force, that doesn't necessarily mean you're talking about um, the physics version of force. So I'll stop there and see what uh, Socrates has, has uh, in terms of questions about that. So, OK, so this is the, this tanker uh, scenario, this tanker phenomenon. Is is would this be something that could be used in all settings with students? So as a phenomenon, like say, like I was teaching, I don't know, like you say, this Bethany teacher was working in the Seattle area. Um, say I was working in an environment in which you know my students didn't have a lot of experience with trains, mm -hmm. or didn't you know. Um, may not have seen this type of, you know, tanker truck. Is yeah. it something that would still have, or, cause I, I guess what I'm getting at is the, is the background of the students and their experiences. Is that a critical part of selecting a phenomenon? 
Um, yeah, that's a great question. I would say I, ideally the answer to that question would be yes. Um, I think the, you know, in this case, you can show them a video of this thing happening. So that helps um, because even if they've never seen a tanker car or know what, what it looks like, they can get a sense from the video. But yeah, it the, ideally, it would be something they have experience with. Um, I mean, as we know, that adds a whole layer of complexity, right? Um, in the sense that your any group of students that you have is not um, homogeneous, right? So even if half the class has had experience with whatever the thing is, the other half may not have. So finding finding a thing that's universally known and experienced is tricky, but certainly um, it, 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 you don't have to have it that way. But I think the, the better, the more you can lean towards that direction, the better off you are. And for lots of reasons, because, um, you know, as we've talked about multiple times, one of the things you're trying to do in a science classroom is allow kids to bring their own knowledge to bear. And that includes their own experiences and their own culture and their own language. Um, so, so the more familiar it is to them, more likely they are to be able to talk about it. So, so I, I present this, let's say I'm Bethany and I'm teaching this, this lesson in, in, in class. And I start by, you know, describing the scenario, just and then showing them video, the video. Yeah. Um, and then, and then what, what's the um, next, what's the next stage in that? So, and is this getting too far down the actual, you know, phenomenon, phenomenon based teaching, or do we want to stay within the lane of let's describe phenomenon first? Yeah, I think I'd rather do the second. I mean, we could definitely go down that, that path towards, okay, what's the sequence after this thing has been introduced. Sure. Um, but, but I think what we, flesh out what phenomenon are more first. Yeah, I think that would be useful okay. to try and focus on that. But um but I think what we could talk about is so what is the we can sort of now contrast that with what is the content that Bethany is trying to teach with this phenomenon because you're not just introducing random phenomenon to be explained, right? These are carefully chosen. They're carefully chosen because the phenomenon have as part of their explanation the the key disciplinary core ideas that you're trying to help kids develop understandings of right so you're not just saying hey i i i saw this cool thing like in the backyard we're going to now do a whole science unit on it maybe you could do that way but but that's hard because you don't necessarily have an explanation for it you may not know the science that underlies whatever that thing is and so so phenomenon have to be carefully chosen and thought through and and teachers you know there's a lot of work to that part of it so um so i mean basically what i'm saying is for those of you who are science nerds you're probably saying well this sounds like an ideal gas law lesson sure and the answer is, yeah, I mean, ultimately, that's the, one of the core disciplinary ideas that, that um, or one of the, I, I would call that actually a topic, um, that they're trying to get at, this like PV equals NRT sort of notion of, uh, you know, because it's always an equation, right? Sure. I, I was just going to say the same thing. I was yeah. going to say, well, of course, when it, let's just run right to the equation. Let's, yeah. let's, let's do that because that's, you know, how that kids- explains it. Because kids understand things when you throw an equation at them. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But it's, uh, it's brilliant. That's, so, that's dripping with sarcasm to all the listeners dripping, out yeah. dripping who, could, who couldn't tell. Just yeah. wanted to make it clear. Yeah. So I think, you know, th but this is, you know, my experience is that um, 
as, as simple as this sounds when I give an example, well, first of all, yes, PV equals NRT is part of what is necessary to understand why the tanker does what it does, right? So, which is to say, you have to understand something about pressure. You have to understand how, how pressure is created, what pressure means, right? So you can't just say pressure. You have to understand molec- on a molecular level, what is pressure? Like, how do we think about pressure? Pressure is a force, but where does that force come from, right? So that's, that's one of the first things to think about within the tanker. The other thing is you have to understand something about phase change, which again, on a molecular level has something to do with the speed of molecules and the relationship between the speed of molecules and the state of matter that they're in, right? So you have to understand um, something about uh, atmospheric pressure, right? So that is that the, that they're, they're basic, basically we're living at the bottom of an ocean of air. And as a result, there's always air pressing down and on us from all sides um, and how that happens and, and why that happens. So there's a, a lot of what we're trying to do with a phenomenon is get beyond just, okay, the answer to this is PV equals NRT and get to the point where what we're doing is explaining the thing. Right. And the explanation includes the relationships between pressure and volume and temperature. Um, but it's more explanatory than that. It's not just, oh, the answer is PV equals NRT. It's the answer is a, an explanation. And that explanation is written in text and it's, it's long, right? And complicated and involves a, a sort of detailed and descriptive explanation of lots of components of this thing. I, I would say. I think the tanker um, example is great uh, because I'm, I'm certain that if there's a chemistry teacher or two out there who's listening to this, who's going, I do that. I do that in my classroom. Right. I do that. In fact, I would even go further that there's probably like a, if, if we got like a room full of chemistry teachers, there's probably like three or four of them that say I became a chemistry teacher so I could do that demonstration. Yeah. Yep. Right. I yeah. mean, that's the like, Coke, probably the Coke can version of it. Right? right. Right. Or with a like I've seen it done with like larger, like almost gasoline can size, right, right. you know, like sure. gigantic, like gigantic ones where there's a cool crushes yeah. in on itself. Right. I mean, this is one of those classic demonstrations that they love. And they're they're going to be skeptical of this because they're going to be like, I do this. I yeah. do this in my classroom. And but I think that. The critical part is where that is in the lesson and how it's used to frame the lesson. And then also what the end result from the lesson is. Right. I mean, I think that's the, those are the, uh, cause you know, even talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Cause, cause I think that um, it's, so the end result for this, from your from the perspective of your, um, and if I, I'm off, I, if I'm off base, you know, definitely correct me, which you, you, you know, you're, you're apt to do, which of course I will. Right. Is getting the students to um, anchor an explanation, right. In some phenomenon that is, you know, out there, that's natural. That's like occurring in the world. And this, and the tanker example is something that, Hey, look, this, this actually happened someplace unless, you know, Bethany hired some, you know, trained guy to like set this up. Train guy. Which, yeah. train guy like, mm-hmm. I don't know, some engineer, I know a to, guy. you know, Hey, I, you know, hey. Here, right, let me, let me slide you a few dollars. 
you know, crush the tanker for me. Crush the tanker for me. I don't think that's that happened, but you know, so this happened, and then it becomes an example that we can draw upon to you know set up explanations and an inquiry, right? And Mm -hmm. with the idea that it's it's not it's not confirmatory. Right. It's like, hey, let's make a prediction of what's going to happen based on PV and a PV equals NRT. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to do this. Who's let's make a prediction. Oh, and look at it. And, right. you know, right. I- exactly. I mean, I think that's yeah, that's a really, really important point. It is this the relationship between this phenomenon and and the rest of the curriculum. Right. And, sure. and while and I know you were trying to go through towards that too, when you were talking about the teaching sequence, but I think you've done a, a nice job of sort of entering that in a different way. And I, I think it's worth talking about that some more. Right. So yeah, like, like again, it, it, not to skip back to learning theory, but um, one of the big things around conceptual change, one of the teaching models that came out of that was this idea of a discrepant event. Event, Right. right. And so you could argue that the tanker is just a discrepant event. Um, And the pedagogy that you're describing, this predict, observe, explain sort of pedagogy that went with it, which is that you sort of set it up. So the chemistry teacher comes in and says, okay, I've got this gas can, there's a little bit of water in it, and I'm going to put it on a hot plate until steam starts to come out of it. Then I'm going to seal it up and then I'm going to put it in this bowl of ice water. And I want you all, before I do that, to predict, predict. what you think is going to happen. And then the chemistry teacher does the does this demonstration and the can goes <laughs> and crushes in. And then and then the teacher says, Oh, well, how do you explain that? And then then the there the answer is PV equals NRT. Right. right? And and then the demonstration's over. And usually that happens um at either either the at the end of the unit after so this is like we've 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 taught you pv equals nrt and this is an application of your knowledge or it's the way it's to one, introduce it and right. say okay here's pv equals nrt and all it's the, the activating meds. strategy Ooh, nice uh, i know <laughs> you see what i did there yeah that's yeah. Great. yeah yeah so like this discrepant events uh, uh it's like the magic of science right yeah. like this is like at all, there's a whole generation of science teachers who were taught using this discrepant event, you know, prepared by you and I included yeah, for sure. in which, in which, and in physics, we had so many of them, right? So many discrepant events that you can, you know, use in your classroom that you almost become yeah. sort of like a performer. You almost become like a, a magician yeah. in the classroom. Yes. And, and that's like, Ooh, predict what's going to happen Ooh. here. And the predictions are usually way off base, sure. right? Because we're, that's what makes a good quote unquote good discrepant yeah. event yeah. is when it's the, it's not predictable by everyday thinking, right? Yeah. That you're instead, um, then you use that to kind of foster the conceptual change. Yeah. That's the discrepant part. That's right. the, the, the thing that makes a discrepant event is it's something that you didn't expect to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what makes it, that's where the magic supposedly comes in. Um, right. So I think, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And so, so to contrast that, like the, the purpose of, of doing this in, in an ambitious science teaching context or a phenomenon driven teaching context is that your goal with this is not to teach kids PV equals NRT. Your job is to ask kids to develop a beginning explanation of this. So you tell me, what do you think's happening before, during, and after in this event? Right. What do you, and explain that to the best of your ability at a molecular level 
you know, again, this is a, this is intended for essentially a high school age group. So they at least know atoms exist um, and, and they know something about them so they can draw on that knowledge to, to begin this explanation, but that that's not necessary for, for you to do this, but, um, but the goal is to get them to develop this ex- initial explanation. Um, but the, but the end of it is still not to give them PV equals NRT. That's so they don't develop this initial explanation. Then you say, ha ha, you know, here's PV equals NRT and it answers all your questions. And now, now we're done. Um, so I think, um, I think it is, it's a, you know, as is so often the case, um, in these contexts, whether it's teaching practice contests or, or, or academic contexts, the, there's a lot of nuance here and the nuance is where people get tripped up and the nuance is where people get into this idea of, yeah, I already do that. Yeah. Right. And, and what I'll say is you don't, right. Whoever you are you do not do this. Chances are very good. Like very few people are actually engaged in this kind of pedagogy in a, in a deep, meaningful way. And I say that because there's lots of research about it and I know how hard it is. And it's hard, not just for the individual teacher, but it's hard because it, this kind of teaching doesn't fit well within our system, right? Where you have 45 minutes with kids and then they leave and they, you see them again the next day or whatever. And that's driven by tests and that's driven by, you know, everybody has to be on the same page on the same day and all the other contextual common factors. As- and common assessments. And, oh, yeah. Uh, so, so do you see, okay, so what's the ideal outcome for this, um, this movement? Is it to redesign curriculum completely to be phenomena based or is it um, that this, that, I don't know, during the course of, an academic year, say like somebody's taking, I don't know, ninth grade biology, that they have at least a handful of these during the course of this the year. I mean, because, you know, is it, yeah, I mean, that, which is it? Which is yeah. it? I mean, I think the ideal is that it's the whole thing, right? And, and part of the reason for that is, um, is that when you start, when you start thinking about things as phenomenon, um, and that that's what you're, you're working around. You understand that phenomenon, real phenomena in the world don't easily fit into topic categories, right? And sometimes they don't even fit easily into disciplinary, you know, subdisciplinary science boundaries, mm-hmm. right? So, so there's lots of, so they're complicated. And as a result, what you would, what you end up doing is you end up teaching things from what would have been different parts of the curriculum, in a traditional school year at the same time, because they're all part of a phenomenon. And so if you don't reorganize sort of eventually everything, then you don't, you can't teach things. You, you miss things. Right. And I'm, and I'm not trying to say that the goal uh, is still to cover everything. Cause I think that's part of the NGSS too, is to try to focus on big ideas with explanatory power rather than lots of little details. But th- that said, there are, there are some big ideas that you want kids to understand. And so if you are going to start doing phenomenon driven, you, you, I think eventually do want it to be the whole curriculum that said, all of the people I think who've done this successfully have started small and worked their way up. Right. So you start with one unit and develop a unit around a phenomenon and then slowly over time, work it into the full curriculum. Like the group that I work here, 
with in state college in the middle school, like they now have a full curriculum grades six through eight that are entirely phenomenon driven. So there are, it is, it isn't, they no longer do topics. It's all about phenomenon. And, um, but that took conservatively five years, um, to develop and get this more, if you include the time for the initial development into the, the time to have the school district adopt it. Cause it's now school district wide curriculum. So, so let's, let's talk about what a, a sixth grade, you know, so we're in middle school. Is it a, you know, five, six, seven, six, seven, eight. Yeah. Six, seven, eight is what we're talking about. So it's okay, not a so, middle grades. It's a middle school. Tradition. Sure. Yeah. And so let's, let's, so what's the sequence of phenomena that a sixth grader would go through? Um, that's a good question. So you're making me pull that off the top of my head. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. No, but. no, it's okay. I'm trying to think. I mean, I'm, and in fairness, I'm more, most familiar with the seventh and eighth grade because I worked okay. most of them. So let well, me start that, with some of those. Okay, great. Okay. So, um, so one of the phenomenon um, that starts off the beginning of seventh grade is the happy sad ball. And you may be familiar with this um, if you're a physics teacher. Basically, these are two identical looking rubber balls, black rubber balls. And when you drop them, one bounces and one hits the ground and sort of just thuds and doesn't bounce. Right. And so that phenomenon, as simple as that sounds, that is that a whole unit is built around that that is essentially an energy unit. Right. So it's about energy and um and my, we can go into details about that but that's that's one of the core units another core unit that happens in that in that seventh grade year is about hurricanes so there's an earth science component to this class and so there's hurricanes there's one about um this one's an eighth grade um that begins with uh with the heating and eventual decomposition of sugar right so basically burning sugar is the is the phenomenon that drives a whole unit on on molecules and molecular structure, uh, basically um, chemical and physical change, right? So um, so that gives you some idea of like some of sure. the the stuff that's that that that's being used, right? And the tanker is one of their their curriculum items as well, actually. So one of the things that we'll put in the share show notes is like. Uh this document from, I don't know, 2016, it talks about qualities of a good anchor phenomenon. And mm-hmm. one of the, one of the aspects they talk about is that, uh, and this was developed by, you know, friends of yours, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Penwell and Phil Bell. Phil Bell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, so it says a collaboratory. Uh, so it says uh, a good anchor phenomenon can be a case. It could be something that's puzzling or it could be a wonderment. Yeah. And so, and I think that all of the examples you're citing there fall into one of those categories, right? I mean, yeah. something that's, you know, puzzling, it's like, well, why is that happening? Like, I mean, that's a good thing with the, the, uh, the tanker and also with, you know, um, the balls, right? The happy ball right. and the sad ball. Yep. You know, I've often wondered which one's the happy ball and which one's the sad. Is the happy one the, the one that bounces? Of course. I mean, of course. Is it? Yeah, is bouncing I better than just like I well, I don't know. I guess I guess canonically balls <laughs> are meant to bounce. And so if they don't, they must be sad. I guess. I guess. I don't know. I, I don't mean, know. So uh yeah, that's a that's a that's a conversation killer right there. Thanks. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. sorry. Nah. 
<laughs> philosophically sure. which one is a happy ball hey you're um, the one to throw off the happy and sad and i'm just like yeah. well why why do we have to well that's the way they're in the catalog man i mean if you want to order them if somebody if some uh dynamic science teacher out there wants to order the happy sad balls that's what they that's how they are hey, in the they're, catalog they're people not, are googling happy and sad balls of course right they, are. they are yeah but i mean i think one of the reasons that I think it's interesting to hear this sort of different set of, oh, and another one that they do that's a very big, basically their biology unit in seventh grade is how does an acorn become an oak tree? So, um, so that's a, you know, a, it, and that, get, that gets broken down into pieces into smaller sort of focused sub um, pieces. But that idea, you know, like these are... <clears throat> I guess one of the things to think about with phenomena is they don't have to be like the thing. The thing I don't like about the tanker as an example is it's very dramatic. So it does have this discrepant event feel to it. And the happy sad ball has a similar vibe to it, right? It's not quite as dramatic, but it's got this sort of, wait a minute, these are two identical balls, but they behave differently. How is that possible? And the the trick is that they're not identical, right? Right. Right. And so, I mean, that's one of the parts with the discrepant events that I always kind of felt like disingenuous was that there were examples that we were using that you almost had to like rig like a magic show, yeah. right? There were like not real phenomena. There were not real things, right? And so you were like, yeah. we're, it's like, well, if you do this, then it works. And it's like, yeah. well, hold on. Then, then you're tricking them. Yes, you know? it's they, tricking. You're, yeah. you're tricking the students. And I, I think that, and this is in, in the list of, of these, uh, the things, uh, these qualities of good phenomenon, but mm-hmm. I, I think they should be naturally occurring. These should be things that like w- students like experience or have a chance of experience in their daily lives, right? Yep. Like pulling something that's like, Hey, here's this little, like, I don't know, bug that you find in, I don't know, some region in Africa that, you know, yeah. does, does this really, does this really cool thing. It does this really cool thing. And we're going to use it to, and it's like, well, okay, I, I, I get that it's interesting, but like, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, I, that's, me, I hear that's that. me pushing back a little bit. No, I think that's fair. And I think one of the challenges of this is, um, is you are sort of always walking this tightrope of your, or razor's edge or whatever it is, where, you know, you want phenomenon that kids can experience or have notions about, um, but you also need it to at least for now as long as we have standards there are still ideas that kids have to learn and while there when there are ideas that kids have to learn you can't again you can't just pick any phenomenon right because the phenomenon has to as part of the explanation of it contain some of these disciplinary core ideas within it as part of the explanation otherwise um they're not learning what they need to learn. Now, if we get to the point in our country, which I think is unlikely, where we say, look, the, that content is under local control. And what we really want is some set of practices that kids engage in. And that's what we're focused on, not the actual content that they have to learn because they can get that other ways. But we want them to engage in this process of science. Then that opens up possibilities for all sorts of you know, asking questions about the local environment, asking questions about things that kids have direct experience with and are curious about, but that's also a much harder job for teachers because those Mm -hmm. things, you know, are again, complicated and, and overlap disciplinary boundaries. And so it, it makes a much bigger challenge for teachers to prepare that kind of curriculum. Right. But it is why I like things like how does an acorn become an oak tree or a hurricane? Because those things are legitimately like, you know, those, those are not tricks. Like those are just like, how, how is something that, you know, is so tiny 
this little tiny nut become this massive organism that, you know, is, is thousands of pounds and, and, you know, is rooted deeply in the ground and stretches way up into the sky. And it's like, that's, that's really pretty crazy. Right. It is crazy. And it's, I mean, it's, and it's not magic. It's like, no, it's not magic. And the, the one that I, I'm just stunned that we don't think about more is like, which is a, which is a variation on this in human form, which is, how do babies become adults? Like just to think about like, okay, you were, when you were born, you were seven, eight pounds. Right. And you don't, you didn't look anything like you do now, but now after let's say 40 ish years, uh, or more, uh, (laughs) maybe 50, uh, uh, you, you have become this adult and everybody would say, Oh, that's still Ollie. Like, sure. it's not, it's not like they say, oh, that's not Ollie anymore. Now this is like big Ollie or, you know, you get a new name because now you're a different organism, but you've you, like, what makes you up now? Like you're the, the physical makeup of your body. There is none of what was basically none of what was born on that day of your birth. Like it's all been replaced over, over your life. So you're sort of like a recurring pattern of energy over time. And we name you Ali, but like that, I, I don't know that. Right. I, I want, feel, that's, that's a philosophical question. What's the, what's the boat? What's the ship? Yeah. 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 That's a, yeah, right. The, if you replace all the parts of the boat. Yeah. Right. Right. That, there's, a, it, I think that's a, a Greek person too. Right. It is. It is a, uh, there's some philosophical story and we'll, we'll Google this and put it in the show notes um, in which you, if you take a piece, okay, we're going to replace this plank and we're going to replace this. And eventually you replace every single part of the boat. Is it still the beginning? Is it still the same boat? Yes. And you know, that's a classic philosophical question. Right. But it's also a really interesting scientific phenomenon when it comes to human beings. Right. So, and same with the acorn oak and all these things, right. It's, it's one of the amazing things about life is that life is a, is a self-replicating pattern that, that, um, you know, makes changes to its environment in, in really fascinating ways. And, you know, that's cool stuff. And, and, uh, and we don't think about it that way. We just think about it as like, okay, let's learn the skeletal system and let's learn the organ system and let's learn the, you know, it's like, holy cow, man. Well, to try to pull us back uh, a, a little bit, (laughs) <laughs> I, I from the philosophy from the precipice yes the philosophical precipice that we were on um i think that all that i see when i see this type of you know uh push in in science ed i, I just go it's it's a little bit like a like whack-a-mole in terms of all of the constraints and all of the challenges that would be required in order to to make this sort of like change, sure. you know, universal. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I, I look at it from, you know, in order to do this kind of stuff, you have to have less disciplinary thinking, like in terms of like, okay, I'm a, I'm, I'm a trained physicist. I'm a, not trained physicist. I'm a trained yeah. physics teacher, right? Yeah. You know, if I stray too far from that lane, I, I mean, we get into biology. I am like useless. I'm a useless. If I had to teach biology or if the phenomenon that I selected somehow steered into the biological world and there's lots to do, then I'm kind of stuck, right? So that's a, that's a challenge. That's one challenge. And yeah. then, you know, when we think about like, these 
this layer cake model that we have in schools in which what we do is we, you know, we just layer content on top of content and with very few um, exceptions, most K to 12 curriculum is the same, right? Across the, across the country, you know, most ninth graders are taking biology, right? I mean, they took biology in middle school, but they're taking it again. And then they took or science in the middle school, but they never take it in high school. Very rarely is astronomy, even though like, you know, astronomy could be easily taught at a high school level with some Mm -hmm. really cool things happening for students to investigate but no somehow we've got you know this goes back to you know the uh the committee of 10 right right and and they're saying you know and astronomy wasn't part of that conversation right we have biology and chemistry and physics those are the things that are taught and 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 mostly in that order um that's a that's a a model to break in order yeah. to do this and to do this well, in you have to do it whole, wholesale. Wholesale, you got to like break down those walls, or you know keep the walls in some way, but then radically change how and and, and radically and strategically and intentionally plan these things out so that they're sort of create some sort of momentum and they fit the pieces. To, the pieces fit together. Yeah. And that's a challenge. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, this, that challenge, some version of that challenge exists anytime you're trying to change schools Yeah, because schools are big social systems, right? Which means they have bureaucracy, they have, they have institutional inertia, right? Like they, they are designed for certain things, they move, uh, and they're very difficult to change the direction of their movement. So yeah, that's always, I mean, you know, again, you hear this, um, when, when people are talking about uh, anti-racist, say, versus abolitionist um, ways of thinking about what we're doing with schools, like one, you know, abolitionist approaches sort of say, look, we got to tear the whole system down because the whole system is broken. And the only way to, to fix it is to tear it all the way down and rebuild it from scratch. And that's sort of what you're saying here is like, well, if we really wanted to do this, we would have to almost tear the whole system down and rebuild it from scratch. We'd have to think about the way we prepare science teachers differently. We'd have to think about what grades mean differently in terms of like grade six, seven, eight, like maybe things like that are going away. We would think about like, maybe we don't have physics class, biology class and and chemistry class. We have science class and all we're doing is investigating different phenomena. I mean, it, it would be a massive sea change to really implement this, um, in, in its totality. So, and, and I don't think for the most part, that's what science educators are advocating. I think what, what we're advocating for is at least for now, systematic, but slow and incremental change to the best of our ability, right. By re-understanding the purposes of what science classes are about and, and trying to, um, trying to use that to guide new ways of thinking about teaching. And I think NGSS, you know, it's, it's the same, this is again, a criticism of education where they say like, oh, well, NGSS is just the same old thing. It's just the science education standards from the nineties repackaged slightly in a, in a slightly different form. And, cynically from the outside, I can see why some people might say that, but from the inside, it's a radical change. It's a very different way of conceptualizing this stuff, but that own, that radicalness 
only can be understood if you understand some of these core ideas, like what we're talking about today, this difference between say a topic and a phenomenon. And, and I will say my experience is, is a very difficult thing for science teachers to think about, right? So when we, when we ask them to generate a list of phenomena and they'll say things like, Oh, how about the periodic table? And or like, the, okay. um, let's, let's do momentum or yes, like, right. Let's yeah. Or let's do the ideal gas law. It's like, right. well, okay. Th- those are not, those are not phenomena. Those are explanations of phenomena that we've developed. Um, so that it is, a, it is a hard, um, it is a hard thing to, to tackle this. So are, are, and I, I, I cringe even saying Ooh, this, well, like uh, but are, are textbook companies doing this? Like, are they changing? Like, can you buy like a phenomena based physics course. Like- yeah. I mean, I would say the answer to that right now is no, the closest thing. So there's two, two w- things that I would say that are, that are um, of this sort of philosophical organization. So one is there's a, there are a set of textbooks, uh, project-based science, uh, project-based inquiry science, PBIS, I think is the actual title. And those curricula were developed by um, jointly between Northwestern and the University of Michigan and um, and Georgia Tech, um, and and they they're probably predate the NGSS, which is why they were named the way they were named, yeah. um, and I think they have since been um, NGSS aligned. But those are curricula. The other one that is a big project that's happening right now is Open Syed, which you can go um, and we'll put that in the show notes. But that's a that is a funded organization um, who is developing open source curriculum. And right now it's grade six through eight. I think they're going to be complete with the curriculum development in 2023 or 24. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's still years away. But they have developed some curriculum units that you can download for free. And they are they are phenomenon driven sort of storyline based uh, ways of teaching science. Um so there are beginning to be materials that can help support this, but you know, the truth is going back and maybe this is a place, a good place to end for us is, you know, going back to what we continue to talk about. So much of this depends on a teacher and a teacher right. that's willing and able to have these conversations with their kids. Cause the curriculum can't do this work. It can help support it and it can, it can create a, um, it can give a teacher a set of tools to allow them to more, um, more easily engage in this process. But the teacher has a tremendous amount of work to do here um, in terms of both their own philosophical thinking about what teaching is. And also just in the day-to-day, how do you learn to talk with kids about their ideas and stuff? But I think that presents another challenge, right? And I, I don't mean to be the, the naysayer, here i'm not i'm not naysaying i'm just more pointing out the challenges and you know these two is that we have a uh you know a a bunch of science teachers who didn't learn this way who have no models of what this instruction looks like so you know this comes back to the lordy apprenticeship of observation that we've talked about in in previous episodes is that you know we predominantly teach in the ways that we were apprenticed when we observed other science teachers teach. Mm-hmm. And since we don't have models, that's why I was thinking about in terms of, you know, what resources like textbooks or curricula or things exist to help 
teachers better see what examples. And I know a lot of this comes down to professional development and yeah. there's lots of places that are offering those types of professional development. And I know you've been engaged in that too. Um, but these are, you know, things that are, there's a lot of inertia here that is hard to break. Yeah. And, and I think that this is, this is a starting point for us in this conversation. We'll probably revisit this a little bit more next week yeah. when we get into the actual, like, you know, instructional strategies and the instructional, you know, techniques that we would use in order to uh, move from the phenomena to actual helping the students make explanations and, and so on. But I, I, but I think that um, it's important for us to talk about this educationally, you know, all of the challenges, because, you know, we have lots of people who may be listening not a lot of people who are listening, but who may yeah. be listening, right? Who yeah. are uh, probably working in some way where they're going to be looking at the challenges too. And if we can at least voice them and, you know, identify them and, and maybe we can help them de- develop solutions on how to work through those. Yeah, know? no, I think that's worth revisiting. And, and I'm, I'll just emphasize one thing that you said, and then I think we can go to Joyce, but um, which is that the curriculum can't, solve this and that no. they're, they're, you need to have professional development. Teachers need to have opportunities and contexts in which they can work with each other and with um, professionals who can help them um, to rethink the way they do their teaching. There's just no way around it. Curriculum itself is not going to change this um, because we know this, right? You give it, you give it to a teacher who has a different philosophical point of view, they will they will redesign, essentially, they will reinterpret that curriculum in a way that they're comfortable with. And in doing so, they will take away a lot of this um, fundamental focus on kids' ideas as the drivers. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's, as they say, a wicked problem, right, is a problem that is not only hard to solve, but changes as you try to solve it. So, um, so it's a tough one, but that's why it's fun. So from wicked problems, we go to joys. To joys. Would you like yeah. to go first? Sure. I can, I can go. So I've been watching a lot of TV and you can see that uh, over the last few weeks, I've been, uh, my joy, I think my joys for the last three weeks have been all television shows. Um, or movie, so, like TV movies. Yeah. Oh yeah. So this week uh, I'm going to stay in that vein. Uh, we have, you, you, I think my, the first joy I shared a year ago was Chopped. Right. I'm a competition TV guy. I love competition TV. Um, not, not like things like the, you know, Survivor or, you know, uh, Big Brother and things like that. I like whenever, you know, individual people are competing against other people and showing talents in terms of like cooking or so uh, we came across like uh, I, we did the glass show a few years ago. Like I talked oh, about yeah. that, if you, blown you know, away. blown away, which is awesome. But this is the great pottery throwdown and it's on HBO max. It's a British show. So it's, it's, if you are a fan of the great British baking show or the great British bake off, this is wet. Like it's almost like a carbon copy of that. Save for they are making pots and, and throwing pots instead of, you know, making cakes. So there are, it's it's very similar in terms of the structure. It's very similar in terms of and it's British, so the people are really super nice to each other. Yeah. They're doing this competition, but they're oftentimes when they're helping each other, they're like, "Oh, I'm done. What do you need me to do?" And that's something that would just be foreign. In to, it's so yeah. no, I know it would be like it would never happen if they were doing the great you know pottery throwdown in America. 
people would be sabotaging each other, right? It'd be like, oh, you're not done. Uh, to, yeah. you know, you know, I'm just stealing some of your uh, clay there so you can't finish. Right. Like they, they are like helping each other glaze. They're like, yeah. you know, they're all becoming friends. And yeah. at the end, when someone leaves, there's all these hugs and Crying tears. And, yeah. and there's four seasons on uh, HBO Max. We, we've watched the uh, season one and we're halfway through season two. It's just joyful. It is so great to see, you know, creative expression. It's so cool to see. And they're all amateur, you know, pottist, pottery people. I don't know. What's the... Um, ceramicists, I think ceramicists. ceramicists. Yes. Yeah. So artists, they're amateur artists. So they all have some other gig on the side. Like, you know, someone's a, you know, does uh, like a banker, they're a mortgage banker and they throw pots on the side and it's cool to see that. And um, yeah, it's awesome. It's the joy f- for, for me these last like couple weeks. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, yeah. Joyful. Uh, and so, Yeah. So mine, mine is also TV. Mine is ephemeral. So people may not be able to, uh, unlike the great pottery throwdown, which will exist for many years to come on HBO max, I'm sure. Um, but, but one thing that brings me joy right now is the Olympics, right? So the Olympics is being televised and, um, I'm like the kind of person, or we are a family that like, we just turn on the Olympics in the evening and just whatever's on, we're watching it. But now in this new streaming era, you can sort of bounce around. So you can watch all sorts of wacky stuff that you never expected to be able to see. So it's not just swimming and track and field and uh, gymnastics. Um, It's all sorts of, you know, badminton and ping pong and um, you know, BMX biking. Um, So I just love all that, but I'm just going to put a plug in very briefly for three on three basketball totally like had no idea this was even a thing. It came on one day and I was just spellbound. It's awesome to watch. The games are super short. They're 10 minutes long, but they're really, really, really active. And um, anyway, if you're, if you're not watching Olympics, it's, you know, the, the just, you know, it's, it's everything it's life. You know, there are people who you expect to win who don't, there's people who you don't expect to win who do there's, you know, all the, all that, you know, sort of drama of sport and it's all super condensed and intense. And you get to see all different kinds of athletes doing all sorts of different things. And it's, you know, the, the variety of, um, of what constitutes Olympic sport is pretty remarkable. So so I'm a fan, uh, and it's, you know, it is ephemeral, but if there's more of it around when, F, when you hear this, you should go listen or go watch some more. Cause it's, it's just fun. So. Well, there's a whole Olympic channel. Like, oh, yeah, you know, there's multiple, right. Even when you're like, well, I'm talking on, like we have Hulu and there's a channel that's just dedicated to Olympics. Right. So even if you're listening to this episode, like in, I don't know, October, go check out the Olympic channel. Cause there's like going to there be stuff. On, there'll be stuff on there. So yeah, I'm, I've been watching a good bit of the Olympics and we talked a little bit about this recently where, you know, I'm lean more to the events in which there's a clear winner, like, like a swimming events or like, you know, you, someone throws you, a jab- you don't like judged competition. Well, it's just hard because sometimes I don't always get the judging or I don't understand the judging. And it's hard for me to be able to recognize like, you know, this is that professional vision. I know you have a, I don't have the professional vision to be able to look at like a, like a gymnast and say, that was a really good routine. I look at it as a novice and I go, wow, that was awesome. And then they score it down. And I'm like, hold on. I don't get why this has got a low score and this is a high score. So I lack that professional vision. And I think that's the part. Whereas 
with, with swimming, I can come and go, okay, that's a butterfly stroke. I get it's a butterfly stroke and they, they, they touched the wall first. Okay. They won. I get it. I, I don't need a certain level of expertise or knowledge base to be able to be a fan. So. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, uh, we, we can debate what's a sport another we can have a whole episode on that what's sure. a sport is is it a sport if it's judged oh no i i think it's 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 valuable stuff i'm not i i'm just saying that i tend to be more engaged by those than the other so that's fair i'm not knocking it as a sport no no not at all all right, all right. well thank you for hanging in with us <laughs> through our joys and our esoteric talk about phenomenon uh, and, and boats and whatever else and, we and talk canonical about. knowledge yeah and versus normative knowledge sure yeah, yeah. Right. well hey thanks but, for joining uh, us see you next time here in between see you then bye now